What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 12 of the new and improved Matt Bernier Show for Monday, April the 27th, 2020. Hopefully, wherever you are listening or watching, you are doing so safely. Hopefully, the weather's nicer than it is here in Massachusetts. A pretty crummy day. 40 degrees, wind's been blowing all night, it's raining sideways, just not a fun day. The good news is we have nowhere to be, we can't go outside, so get all the crap weather out of the way now while we're all sort of locked down, and then hopefully when things return to some sort of normalcy, we can go outside and the weather will, you know, Mother Nature will do us a solid given the way everything's been going. However you've been listening, thanks for doing so. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. You can find this on inthemoneypodcast.com along with all of the other podcasts and content that In The Money Media has, and there's a million things, a million things. Uh, the boys and girls over there are cranking out, you name it, all sorts of different stuff. Kinchin's got his podcast, Naomi's got hers, the In The Ring podcast, obviously the In The Money podcast, um, and then this one as well. Uh, you've got Redboard Rewind is back. you got a million things over there. Head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you listen to, let's say, on your phone, uh, you have Apple Podcasts. I don't know what the deal is with with an Android. I'm I'm ignorant to that sort of thing. It's it's I'm, there's got to be a podcast app over there. But then I know there's a fair amount of you over on YouTube as well. Just type in Matt Bernie or show right up top. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure the bell icon is lit up so whenever something new is uploaded, whether it's an episode of this or something else. You get notified, and it kind of gives you the heads up that you can go over and watch that. This week is going to be almost a uh, sort of a retro type of feel because back in the day when I did two a week, I would do a review and a preview. Well, because Oaklawn has drawn the Arkansas Derby so early, there's two divisions of it. I'm going to go over both of them. May not be a super deep dive into all of the contenders, but I'll show some replays uh, from what we can find on YouTube that's readily available. The audio will be a little bit different just because I'm using a different software to go through with that and show you the replays and talk over it. So uh, I'll go over both divisions of the Arkansas Derby, and then we'll wrap things up with updated pick history and this week's Q&A. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first division of this year's Arkansas Derby, 170 points total for each of the races boy, that first division, they're going to all have to beat the big boy, Charlatan. First division of the 2020 Arkansas Derby, three-year-olds mile on an eighth on the only track down at Oakland Park, the main track, the dirt. Uh, split into two fields because of the overdrawn group, simply because there are no other places for these three-year-olds to go this time of year. So the Arkansas Derby is the winner. You're going to get two grade one winners, two grade one winning three-year-olds exiting Saturday afternoon's races down there at Oak Lawn in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We'll start with the first division. And again, I, I'm not going to get do a deep dive into all these horses. I'm just going to touch on who I think are some of the logical, likely contenders in each of the races. This first division, it's pretty cut and dry. I really think there's probably only two, uh, but I'll touch on a couple other ones that could be fringe contenders. Um, you can see Charlatan here. I believe this is a, an appropriate or an accurate morning line. I don't know for certain. I'm just going off of what's in my past performances, even money on the morning line. Um, look, from a number standpoint, he lays over this field. He is just so much faster than everyone else. He looks like he could be a superstar. The pedigree is there. The connections are there. Um, I'm a little bit interested in seeing how he's going to handle the inside because I feel like in some of his workouts in the mornings, and again, I'm not an expert as far as workouts are concerned, but from what I've seen, it just looks like he has one way to go and that he just wants to run. Uh, I don't know if this horse 
has the ability to rate if needed. Um, having said that, I don't know that he's really going to be faced with that sort of issue. Uh, Timeform US is right here. They've got the pace projector. Him basically up there with Shooter's Shoot. Now, Shooter's Shoot comes out of a pretty solid effort winning his most recent run. The problem is, if you like Shooter's Shoot, he was humbled three starts back by Charlatan and Charlatan's career debut. So uh, you have that working against you. I think Charlatan's going to go right to the front. I don't think they're going to think twice about it. You've got Martin Garcia listed the ride. Now go back and take a look at his first time going two turns. He's out there. There's really not a hell of a lot to say about this. Um, this is just a racehorse that he looks like he could be anything. He looks like he could be a legitimate superstar. Baffert has made mention of that a few different times. He's doing this rather easily. He's already opened up, put about two lengths on the field at this point, maybe two and a half. And you see that Drayden Van Dyke, who rode him this day and has ridden him in each of his first two lifetime starts, he's not really asking him. He's just kind of keeping him to task. Uh, you see the other riders, they're, they're all out trying to catch up and keep pace with this horse. But Drayden's going to give him a couple cracks here with the left hand, and he's just going to open up for fun. And I think that's the most exciting part about this horse thus far. And I can even say the same about what I've seen in some of his workouts, is that it feels like when he's given his cue, there. I mean, it, it feels kind of like, I'll make an analogy to, to baseball. You know, in, in early innings for pitchers in baseball games, very rarely are you going to see them airing it out. You know, you're going to see usually they just want to kind of get into the, the rhythm of things. You're going to start with a lot of fastballs. You don't want to show off your entire repertoire first time through the order just because you don't want to you don't want to compromise your chances as you have to go through second and hopefully third time, although this day and age, third time through the order seems highly unlikely. The point is some of the best pitchers are the ones that have the ability to start the, start the, the series off and start the game off living in, let's say, that 93 range and being able to ramp up and being able to have a little bit extra in the tank. And I know, you know, one of the more obvious ones in recent memory is Justin Verlander, who he can start off throwing that 94, 95 mile an hour fastball. And then later on in the game, he still has the ability to reach back and dial up that 97, 98, 99 in some occasions. I feel like that's what I've seen from Charlatan so far in that most recent run, as well as his morning workouts where he's going incredibly fast and he's doing it very, very easily early on. But then when he's given the cue, he can reach back and throw that 97, 98 miles an hour and still be able to draw away from the field. He's strictly the horse to beat. I'm not breaking any news there. Uh, my friend's beer. And for the horses that I, I just think, you know, I'm, I'm not doing the deep dive in. I'll just make a quick little comment. I think right now the horse is just too slow. Uh, I can say the same from Momosa. Uh, Governor Morris. Governor Morris is, uh, I made no bones about it. I, I do like this horse. I think he's talented. I think there's still something here. Admittedly, I was a little bit disappointed with the Florida Derby. I thought it was on the, a bit of the lackluster side, but upon going back and looking at the replays, looking at the way the track was playing, I think he was running against the bias that day. I thought it was a little bit of a speed-friendly strip down at Gulfstream more so than it typically is. And again, that's you're only going to really know that if you go back and you watch the tape and you look at the charts and see where the horses are positioned. I thought he really did a fair amount of running against it. He was also wide throughout. I thought it was a pretty solid effort. Um, you know, maybe he's not as good as I had thought he was. Having said that, I, I still think there is something here with this horse. I'm going to rewind it a little bit here as they're coming out of the clubhouse turn for the first time. He's in the Team Valor Silks between, between runners right now, and... This is also a, a bit of a, I don't want to say an unfamiliar position for him, but 
having to run against much better horses in races that maybe it's not unfolding in the ideal sort of situation or scenario for him. He would have really appreciated a faster pace up front. He probably will appreciate getting away from Gulfstream Park. And you can see Johnny V right now here is already pumping on him. He's giving him a couple taps on the shoulder saying, we got to get going here, boss. He's under the whip here just inside the half mile. So clearly, you know, we're, we're trying to get something here. Meanwhile, up front, here comes Tis the Law, who, you know, you can make the argument if you're not a charlatan or a Nadal or any of the other big names on the West Coast, if you're not one of their big fans, you can make the argument, and I would, that Tis the Law is every bit as good, if not better. Governor Morris is trying here, though, and I think that's the most heartening thing I can pull from this. No, it, it was not the, the big effort that, that, you know, maybe some had predicted, and, and I still think the horse is very, very talented, but considering this was his second start uh, as, his three, as a three-year-old of his three-year-old campaign, I, I, I running against the bias, running against good horses that have run at Gulfstream already that are accustomed to the racetrack, keep in mind Governor Morris ran at Tampa in that N1X, I thought it was a, a pretty decent effort, and it made me sort of reassess things when I went back and watched the replay a few more times. Because again, I and I didn't pick him. I thought Tis the Law would win that day, but initially I said, "Ah, oh, you know, maybe he's, maybe Governor Morris isn't as good as I thought he was." I, you know what? Looking back on it, maybe he's still not as good as I thought he was. But I, that, that was actually a, a, a sneaky good effort, in my opinion. If you are so inclined to try to beat a horse like Charlatan, I think a horse like Governor Morris is one of the more likely upsetters. He's 9-2 to two apparently on the morning line. You know, I'd have to price out the race and do a full-blown deep dive into it, but um, I don't know that I'd be in a rush to take 4.5 to 1 uh, in a race like this with a horse like Governor Morris. The good news is for, for the connections, you know, a bit of a blessing in disguise. He wasn't going to have the points necessary in all likelihood to get into the Kentucky Derby. Now that everything is sort of pushed back, you have time. You know, you can look at it and say, oof, we, we actually might have dodged a bullet here and we have another chance to get involved that first Saturday in September. Uh, Jungle Runner, a horse that looks entirely too slow on paper for Asmussen. Uh, Shooter Shoot, again, he, you know, he, he really has continued to improve. His two runs going two turns most recently, they were both solid. The speed figures have come back solid. The problem I have is not only is he a speed horse, the other speed horse, the other predominant speed horse is Charlatan, and Charlatan just took his cookies here in this run three starts back. So, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to do. I, I think Shooter Shoot is in over his head in a spot like this. I think the, the most difficult thing for a horse like this and for the connections, you have to go put Charlatan away, and then if you successfully do that, you need to deal with the horses coming from off of it. I feel like that's a lot to ask. Uh, Wrecking Crew, I, I don't know that the horse is necessarily that good. Uh, second off the bench, maybe you're going to get a forward move here. You're going to need it if he's going to have any chance in a spot like this. And Odor is the other one I'm sure some folks will look at and say, well, why not him? His risen star, I just draw a line through it, I guess. That's all you really can do. The problem is that's the only run we have since the beginning of December as a two-year-old. His two-year-old form, I really liked everything I saw from the horse. He looked great in that debut up at Golden Gate. That was on grass. He comes back, and he loses a heartbreaker in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And you look at it and say, oh, man, he should have gone by, stormed the court, and X, Y, and Z. The, I mean, look, the elephant in the room is you, you take a look at that Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And I don't mean this to be a, an advertisement for Formulator, but, I mean, this is not a particularly strong race. So you have that going against you if you're a fan of Van Odor. And then if you wanted to say, well, he, he proved in the Low South Futurity that that was no fluke. Well, the problem with the Low South Futurity is that race has come back poor as well. A thousand words is not all that in, in, in a bag of chips. So I, 
Anodor, he could certainly sort of flip the script, get back to his best races, take that step forward. I think the horse is very, very talented. I'm starting to wonder a little bit, though, was his two-year-old form, I don't want to say a mirage, but given it stacked up favorably against his competition. Now when the waters get deeper and wider, it's not looking so hot. And then you couple that with the dud and the risen star. The blinkers come off here. We'll see what we get from Anodor. If it doesn't work here, I mean, look, the, the horse can still be a monster on turf. I'm, I'm not questioning that. I, I think there's a ton of ability here. I just am not sure. Again, 6-1 to one on the morning line. That's not doing anything for me. Uh, winning impression is, is a pretty decent horse, I think, for Dallas Stewart. You know, from a numbers standpoint, yes, he's on the slower side. But I say slower side. It's not, You know, if you're, they're all going to be slow compared to Charlatan. Uh, then there is a, a pretty significant drop between Charlatan, Governor Morris, uh, Anodor, uh, Shooter Shoot, and then the rest of the field. But winning impressions probably right at the top of that list as far as that second group of horses is concerned. He seems to continue to improve with the exception of the first two starts. You know, draw lines through those because they were sprints. The minute they stretched him out in distance, he really started running quite well. So, you know, I guess if you're looking for a complete wild card in here, maybe a horse like Winner, uh, Winning Impression is one you want to keep an eye on. Crypto Cash, I think, is too slow in a spot like this. Although, to be fair, you know, his only win to, or one of his only wins to date uh, came on dirt at Ellis Park. Three starts back, his last start uh, over the summer on dirt as a two-year-old. We'll find out maybe going from synthetic back to the dirt is going to be to this one's liking. And then you have Basin on the outside. I know some people are interested in Basin, and, and I had a, a number of people tell me after the Rebel, oh, this is going to be a great race for him. And I understand the rationale, you know, moving into the hot pace, first start off the layoff, first start going two turns. You know, he should have moved forward. I thought he was just kind of moving evenly, and, and I, I didn't expect... I didn't expect a giant move forward, and we didn't get a giant move forward. Now, he did move into the teeth of the pace in that Oaklawn Stakes, which we'll take a look at when I talk about the second division. But even having said that, I, I just never really, I, I don't, Basin to me needs to prove that he actually belongs in that upper echelon. It's one thing to win a grade one going one turn at Saratoga as a two-year-old. It's another thing to prove that you're a proper sort of classic triple crown type as a three-year-old, and to me, at this point, Basin has not done that. So, uh, again, breaking no news here. Uh, Charlatan is way the horse to beat in a spot like this. I'm not giving a pick right now. I'm not going to give a pick for either of the races. This is more just an overview to spitball a little bit. Let me know what your thoughts are in the first division of this year's Arkansas Derby beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, let us take a look at division number two. Division 2 of the 2020 Arkansas Derby race 13 Saturday at Oak Lawn. Mile and an eighth, main track, only racetrack. Da -da -da. It's all the same stuff as that first division, except this race I think is a little bit more wide open, and you can go a few different ways as opposed to just looking at it saying it's charlatan and then everyone else. Uh, Finnick the Fierce I think is one of the slower horses. I don't know that I love his chances in a spot like this. Uh, caught a wet track in that most recent run, but he's run quite well on wet tracks in the past. I, I'd be surprised if he won the race, but having said that, you know, look, anything can happen. These three-year-olds can jump up in a, in a big, big way. Timeform US has the pace projected to being fast. Um, you know, you can see Nadal out here on the front. You can see a horse like Wells Bayou being close. You can see King Guillermo being close. So, uh, and then you've got the two-year-old champion Storm the Court. So uh, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any shortage of pace in here. If you are looking for a horse coming from off of it, you probably shouldn't have any issue. But having said that, we've seen time and time again, whereas the distances get longer, speed ends up being more of an asset than any other point 
really in any of these races. Uh, Saratogian, uh, look, a complete dud in that most recent run. He was 60 to 1. Uh, I mean, he's, he's too slow right now. I suppose you want to take a shot. You take a look at the pedigree. Maybe he'll appreciate going out to two turns, but he seems hard to make on paper anyway. Uh, stormed the court in here for Peter Erton. Won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year. I made mention in the first uh, division. I thought that, you know, in hindsight, slow race, uh, not a great field. He comes back in the San Vicente. I really liked this effort. I thought it was a promising starting off point. He tried to rally from off of it going seven eights. He probably wants every bit of two turns. Da 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 da. And he comes back in the San Felipe, and he was just no match for the top two. And I think the top two are both very good, very talented, authentic, and honor AP. He's catching other talented horses in here, and I still don't know if he can pass horses if he needs to. So unless they are on an absolute quarter horse mission out of the gate to make the front, which they may be, I, I don't know that he can win this race. I wouldn't take him at 6-1. to one. Uh, I, get, I need to do a full-blown deep dive into this field to think about what I would consider, but frankly, I don't know that I would want any part of him in this race. He still needs to prove to me that he actually belongs with these types. Speed is his asset. The problem is he doesn't have the best speed in this race, even at a route. So I think I think Storm the Court might be in a little bit of a tough position. Kinky Aramo. What a neat story. What a, you know, I, I don't know what to make of this horse because he, he didn't do anything really wrong as a two-year-old. You can see that he broke his maiden on grass by 100, comes back, runs a really solid race in the pulpit on turf. So he stakes placed. Then he's gone for months. And he comes back in the Tampa Bay Derby. And, you know, at face value, I look at it and go, a 50-to-1 shot sits just off the pace, and he, he wins. And no one else really seems to do a, a ton of running in this race, with the exception of a horse like Chancet, who is gone for quite some time now. He's laid up on the farm. But when you go and watch the tape of this race, there's really no... What else are you supposed to say? This was a giant performance from this horse. Um, anyone that's paid attention to Tampa, outside is where you'd like to be throughout. Going two turns and really anywhere on the main track. You'd rather be closer than coming from farther off of it. Doesn't mean that you can't close, but you'd rather be closer. Again, that's not really breaking any news. That's where you want to be on all dirt surfaces in the United States. This is the most impressive part of this race, though, to me. is He's extending. He's finishing. It's not like you've got other horses that are just, you know, kind of chopping along and nobody's really... He is cooking. And, I, you know, these are the kind of races that I think, for me anyway, that make me rethink what I initially thought in the, the aftermath of a performance. Where, when I first saw it, again, I said, you know, million to one shot, pretty perfect trip. Yeah, he carried some ground, but... Perch just off the pace, takes over, goes on and wins. Maybe it was a suspect field to begin with. Sola Volante, nice horse, but had to come from last. But with the way that he powered home, and I think that's when you can start to really look at the difference between fluky winners at giant prices and giant price winners that either A, have turned the corner or should never have been the price that they were. Uh, I remember a few years ago, unfortunately, the horse, uh, the ill-fated IRAP. I remember I was at the racing form still, and and we would talk about IRAP and go, he's, I mean, IRAP's not that good. And then I can't remember if it was the, I think it was the Indiana Derby, that he was awesome, and he powered home. And I know he won the race at Keeneland, 
but I thought it was a little bit of a fluke. I didn't think anybody really did a ton of running. The race in the Indiana Derby, I believe it was the Indiana Derby. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. He powered down the lane, and I said, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, this all of a sudden, this is a horse that I I think he's, I think he's turned the corner, and, and and maybe you know, maybe he's not the the butt of the jokes anymore. Maybe he's he's serious. When I go back and watch this replay, for the race from King Guillermo in the Tampa Bay Derby, I can't help but look at the way that he finished and say, this was a damn good performance. And look, he's three to one. I don't know that I'm in a rush to to bet him at three to one, but I'm not going to fault anyone that says. That race was legitimate. He deserves to be one of the short prices in this race, and he deserves to be among the the more highly fancied three year olds at this point. Uh, very interesting horse, anyway. I, I again, not saying I'm picking him, not saying I'm going to bet him. I don't know. We'll see in time. But at the very least, he's one of the more interesting horses of the weekend for me because I want to see if he can back up that Tampa Bay Derby against better horses. Uh, Nadal. Nadal ran in the Rebel most recently. His first time going two turns, first time shipping from Santa Anita, first time in a wet track. Took on unbelievable amount of pace early on. Just absolutely breathing down his neck was American theorem throughout. I, frankly, as the race was being run, thought those two horses would run up the track and be nowhere when it was all said and done. And all Nadal did was kick on and fight off a million to one accession coming from dead last uh we're taking them as they go into the far turn here and excuse me coming out of the clubhouse turn you can see the, the pace is already honest there are two horses to keep an eye on this horse down here in the yellow and blue this is nadal pretty clearly keep an eye on the gray horse mid-pack here this is silver prospector he's also going to be running in this division i'll tell you when we really want to keep an eye on him Nadal, there's, I mean, there's nothing else to say at this point. He's, he's taking a ton of pressure right now. Keep an eye on Silver Prospector right now. I, I think Santana does an interesting thing, and I can understand why he's doing it. He's beginning to make his move down the backside. He wants to procure that inside position, and he also knows that the horse that he needs to beat, one of them anyway, is Nadal. The other one is Three Technique, who's out in the clear. So let's get up into the run a little bit. Let's cl- get closer to the pace. Having said that, and I'll show you why I'm at least mildly intrigued with Silver Prospector when this is all said and done, he moved into the hottest part of the pace. And when the other horses up front, the Nadals of the world, were getting a little bit of a breather, Silver Prospector was actually having to do the most running that he had to do in the entire race. Now at this point, Silver Prospector, I don't have much of an excuse for, to be honest, other than the fact that he did a ton of running into the hottest part. Nadal, for him to keep finding... I mean, this, what else is there to say? This is a giant, giant performance from this horse. He's done nothing wrong in three lifetime starts. The pedigree would suggest that the distance is no problem for him. Now, I've long wondered if one turn would be better for him, and I, I still will wonder that. But having said that, I, I can't sit here and, and knock anything about that race. What, do you, what else could you possibly want from a racehorse? He takes unbelievable pressure throughout. He buries that horse. And still has something left in the tank to fight off the horse coming from dead last, who had the unbelievable pace set up. I mean, Nadal is just a quality racehorse through and through. I don't care what his game will end up being. If he ends up being a mile and a quarter horse, great. If he ends up being a, a seven-eighths horse, great. Well, I, it doesn't make a difference to me. He's just a talented racehorse. He's going to have some other pace pressure. He's going to have more quality pace pressure. And I think that's an important differentiating factor. 
when American theorem goes away in that rebel, it's probably not going to be the situation of the case here on Saturday, whether it's Storm the Court, whether it's King Guillermo, whether it's Wells Bayou. These are more talented horses that are going to be up there keeping him company. I'm going to be curious to see how Nadal can sort of counter that situation. Code Runner, again, seems slow on paper. Um, not much else to add. Silver Prospector. The reason I brought him up when we were watching the replay of the Rebel, and again, I'll take a quick look and show you some of the, the, the running lines here. You can see Accession comes from 100 out of it. Basin rallies from mid-pack. Uh, three technique, we saw him perched out in the clear throughout. Silver Prospector, you probably look at it and you go, well, this is a terrible effort. He ended up finishing up the track. I agree with you about the finish. The only thing I'll say is, when you go through and you take a look at the incremental splits, and that's the way that I always break down races, I, I used to split them up. I used to only look at the incrementals for turf compared to dirt. Uh, I look at incrementals for all surfaces now. Turf, dirt, synthetic, doesn't matter. I want to know what those are coupled with the pace figures for, for each of those. Take a look at the half, or the, let's say the second quarter for Silver Prospector, 2347, uh, fast, no question about it, right? Take a look at the dolls, 2311, about a length, almost two lengths faster. Now he's up there setting the fractions, so it makes sense. Look at the third quarter for Nadal. This is when, as fast as it is, and again, you can see Timeform US has assigned this split a 132 from a pace figure standpoint. The 2538 is a far cry from Silver Prospector's 2460. That's about a four length difference. So Silver Prospector had to make up that ground at arguably one of the hottest points of the entire race. So he probably needed to use a little bit more energy than ideal. And the reason I bring that up, and I'll go back to the chart, is if Santana doesn't push when he does, does Silver Prospector have the opportunity to run in a more similar situation or a more similar position to the way Accession does? If he takes advantage of the hot pace and can rally from off of it, if he saves that late energy, as opposed to expending it going into the far turn to get up into that pocket position, does Silver Prospector run differently? That's, the, that's the, the main thing that I'm keeping an eye on right now and I'm thinking about going towards Saturday, and I'm sure I'll look at it about 15 times between now and then. But I wonder if Silver Prospector and Santana, and I'm not criticizing the ride. I understand why he did it. Especially if you think Nadal's the horse to beat and you're afraid of three technique, you want to be able to get up there and be within striking range. But you made your move into the hottest part of the race, and when we go back in hindsight and you see the horse that came from last rallying into it at a million to one, you're, no question you're a better horse than Accession is. If you had just waited down there and let the pace materialize and let it unfold in front of you, maybe he can come with the run. And I'm going to say he is, the three-quarter length difference perhaps is a little bit different if a horse like Silver Prospector is the one making the run as opposed to Accession. Just a theory. Curious what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Uh, fast enough. Is he fast enough? I don't know. Uh, two turns. I know he's, he's, look, he's a really nice horse. He's a beautiful, uh, he's done some really, really nice things. You know, he won the Cal Cup Derby as a two-year-old, or excuse me, as an early three-year-old going two turns. This is just such a, such a giant difference from facing the, the Cal bred ranks. And I know he ran well in that San Vicente, but boy, you, you 
again, not only you couldn't get Nadal that day, but you got some other legitimate runners to deal with. I think he's got an uphill battle to fight. I think Tation's got an uphill battle to fight, despite this giant race here two starts back. Also can't help but notice that came when he was outright on the lead. He did make, look, he did sit close to the, the pace in the Oaklawn. And I say sit close to it. He made a move very similar to what I was just speaking of with uh, Silver Prospector. And we'll take a look at that race in a moment because the horse drawn just at his outside, I think, is live in here in Farmington Road. Farmington Road took advantage. He had the accession trip of that race. Are you following me? The idea that he came from last with the hot pace, took advantage of it all, still couldn't get the job done. A little bit disappointing. But if Tation waits a little bit, he basically ran, to me, the Silver Prospector race from the Rebel. He paid the price, but he wasn't totally embarrassed in a spot like this. Let's take a look at that race now. You can see the fractions again, hot. I mean, it feels like all those races down at Oakland, everybody's going an honest pace. 45 in a piece, way back here in those Eclipse Silks. This is Farmington Road. Taishan is reasonably close to this thing. I'm still going to side with a horse like Farmington Road because I just I believe in the talent. I think there's something here. Yes, he got a beautiful setup in a spot like this. Should he have won the race? I don't know. That That's up to you as a handicapper to decide what you thought of it. But I like him rallying wide back here. Yes, he is following the horse that ends up winning the race. Um, I just There's a part of me that feels like Farmington Road is still an unfinished product. I hate that he seemingly lacks early speed. But I think he's going to run all day. I have no, I have no issues with distance for him at any point this year. I don't care if it's the Travers, the Kentucky Derby, if they choose to run in a race like the Belmont. It doesn't make a difference. He he will run all day. It's just a matter of does he have too much work to do, given his relation to the pace setters? Because with the exception of this race here at Tampa which again, he faced inferior company. He just doesn't have any kind of early speed. And that, that to me is a, a very, very concerning piece. Now, the other thing I will say is Pletcher with blinkers on going into graded stakes races, I believe is a terrible, terrible stat. Um, we can look at it right now. I can either confirm or deny that. But the idea is first time in a graded stake with the blinkers on is usually not a good move for Todd. Uh, class, here we go. Uh, graded stake. Why not? Uh, where are we? Uh, equipment change. Where are I'm lost. Here we are. Uh, first time blinkers in a graded stakes race for Todd. I, I don't believe the number is particularly good. 9%, 2 for 22, and only 6 have hit the board. Now, if you just go with graded stakes and you go with just blinkers on with blinkers you get a different number you get 14 percent so i'm i'm wondering again if if this all kind of contributes to my working theory and my hopeful theory as well just because i like the horse and i've got him at you know giant prices for future bets i think it's a work in progress i think it's positive that javier is going to come and take the, the take the mountain a spot like this uh, he should get pace to run at the mile and an eighth. Again, he'll he'll run all day. He's he is one of the horses I am least concerned about as far as the distance is concerned. I just, boy, I wish he was a little bit more forward. I wish he didn't have to come from 100 out of it. To be fair, though, to be fair, he himself 
went 47 and two for the half mile. They were just going that fast. I just, you know, does that mean all of a sudden that he's a horse that can, can sit a nice sort of trip? I don't know. I just wish he had a little bit more early foot, but I do think Farmington Road's a nice runner. I think he'll continue to improve. And the last one I'll touch on here is Wells Bayou. Now, Wells Bayou, the, the draw is no bargain coming from out in the parking lot. His running style is also potentially going to be an issue for him. Uh, this is the Louisiana Derby. Um, this is on NBC Sports uh, channel here on, on YouTube. I, I learned nothing from this race. I knew he was a good horse with the lead. I know he set a relatively honest pace. The pace held up. The horse that I'm most interested in coming out of this race is this one with the white silks rolling on the outside. That's modernist. I've said it for uh, how many times on this podcast? I think he's a Belmont Stakes type of horse. Um, Wells Bayou, you know, he ran he ran just fine here. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what else there's to say. He goes out there to the lead. You see Flo giving him a couple cracks, keeping him to task. He finishes quite well. Um, the race didn't come back particularly fast. It came back fine. My bigger concern for a horse like this and a race like this is the dynamics because breaking from the far outside, unless he is just on an absolute send mission, which maybe he will be. I mean, I frankly would appreciate that if they were just very, very aggressive with him out of the gate. He is going to have a very difficult time or he's going to need to show the ability to sit off of a target and still be effective. Um, is he capable of doing that? I have no idea. And I don't think anyone does at this point simply because he's never he's never been He's never been tasked with that. In all of his races, he's been on the lead at the pace call. So, you know, who knows if if he's capable of sitting off if he needs to or if he's just on an absolute send mission. It's going to be very, very interesting for those horses drawn to the inside, whether it is Nadal, whether it is Storm the Court, uh, whether it is uh, any of these horses that are going to figure to be forwardly placed in a race like this. Um, it, it's just King Guillermo. I think this is a very, very fun race. King Guillermo, to me, is the most interesting horse running all weekend outside of Charlatan. I already, I think Charlatan has, I think he's the goods. King Guillermo, he very well could be the goods. I just want to see if he can do it again against better horses here at a mile and an eighth off of a little bit of a layoff. We'll find out. This is a fascinating race. You can go a few different ways. Let me know who you like and why beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. All right. I had recorded this whole thing and then I realized I was just rambling and rambling and rambling and rambling. So I'm going to start over. Uh, pick history and Q&A. Pick history updated 100. We have 100 as far as the sample size is concerned. Uh, the strike rate is 21% winners, 49% in the money, 258 ROI with the winners, 212 ROI as far as across the board is concerned. So both of those are in the black. As far as the win rates are concerned, I would have hoped they'd be a little bit higher. 21% should have been closer to 23. Uh, the 49 should have been closer to 55%. We're at the 100 though. And I've been saying from the jump, I felt like 100 was the barometer. Once we get to that point, you can start drawing some conclusions. I'm very happy and proud that the first 100 are in the black as far as the return on investment is concerned. And frankly, that's really all that matters. But uh, I also have the, the pride element of wanting to have my numbers live up to what I think they should be. And from a win percentage rate and from a win play show rate, they're a little light. Not tremendously, but they're a little light. 21% for the win should be closer to 23. 49 should be closer to 55. But when push comes to shove, we're trying to make money. And following the public selections that I've put out there, 
you'd be in the black at this point. So uh, I'm happy about that. I know I had made mention that there was going to be an announcement about something coming up this week. I'm going to push that off until next Monday because we've pushed back a little bit. So, uh, But there will be something coming up next Monday as far as an announcement is concerned. It definitely pertains to where you'll be able to find selections and things like that going forward. But for now, just hang tight. That'll come. Let's get to the Q&A. And hopefully I don't ramble the way that I did in that last one I just recorded. Um, you can find the easiest way for me to see these is beneath the video player on YouTube. I do see everything that you send on Twitter. It just gets all kind of lost in the shuffle, especially if it's earlier in the week. Uh, I'm more inclined to reply to those directly and immediately than I am here. Here is a good area for me to be able to come back and spitball back and forth. Uh, first one, just wanted to uh, say thank you to John Peruso and everyone else that wish you congrats. Um, Obviously, uh, last Friday, a good day for me, won the BCBC seat, finished second in the 10K over on horse tourneys. Um, I'm just happy to get the BCBC piece out of the way because uh, it's my favorite contest of the year. I think it's the best contest you can possibly play in. Um, I haven't played in a number of years. I've played twice. First year, I finished sixth. Second year, I went broke. Um, last time I played was five years ago at Keeneland. Here we are in 2020 going back to Keeneland, so I'm looking forward to that. Should be a good time. This kind of is a good way to sort of roll into Josh Butler's question and comment. As a public handicapper, uh, do you point towards certain contests or betting challenges each year, like say a golfer plans their season around majors, or are you more focused on making improvements on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I think both can be true. Uh, from a handicapping standpoint, I, I feel like on a day-to-day -day basis, you need to continue to improve. If you're not improving, you're likely getting passed. Uh, and that means don't be afraid to try something different, trying different tools and, and a different way to handicap a race or whatever the case may be. Don't be afraid to change. Having said that, if you find something that works, keep going until it no longer works. Uh, as far as the tournaments are concerned, I mean, year in and year out, goal number one for me is the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. I'm not one that buys into the big contests. A lot of people do. If I had a million dollars in just expendable income to blow, maybe I would. Um, but for me, I'm much more inclined to try to qualify through feeders, whether it's on horse players or horse tourneys or something like that, than to put up $10,000 up front and play, uh, which is why I'm, I'm as happy and excited as I am that I've got this part out of the way. The 10K buy-in is done. It's tucked away until November. We're good to go. Um, I do know a number of players, look, they call them the majors, or some of the majors anyway. Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, Belmont Stakes Betting Challenge, uh, NHC, National Horse Players Championship. Um, you know, Santa Anita has a ton of great contests. Uh, Laurel has the big one. I know that's one that a, a number of handicappers circle on their calendar. Um, you know, all these different jurisdictions. Gulfstream has the Pegasus World Cup Betting Challenge. You know, there, there's, there's so many different great contests out there. Uh, I'm always going to lean more toward the cash ones. Um you know, I've, I've done well in the mythical ones in the past. Uh, I won Aqueducts. I think it was the last time Aqueduct did a mythical $20 sort of win, play, show type of wager contest. And that was years ago now. That was in 2014. Um, so I, I'm open to anything and everything. And I just, I know some people complain about different types of um formats and some people like the two dollar win play some people like the live event some people like the pick and pray some people like cash the only thing i can say is you all know what you're getting into when you sign up for them you know the rules and if things don't work your way or don't go your way i mean look that's just the nature of the beast 
If you don't, if you don't feel comfortable with that and you're going to complain about it, don't play. But you know what you're getting into going into it. My personal preference is to play cash because you can do basically anything you want. If I love a two to one shot and I've got five grand left, I can try to all of a sudden turn that into 10. Whereas with the $2 win place, that two to one is not going to do me any good in all likelihood if it's late in a contest. So um, just different things to think about. And don't be afraid if you have never played in a contest, but you're considering it. I couldn't I couldn't recommend them enough, whether it is on one of the, the websites, whether it's a horse players or a horse tourneys, uh, Express Bet runs contests, uh, Naira has run contests in the past, and they still do, um, but I'd even recommend if you're on your own, don't be afraid to, let's just use this coming Saturday at Oaklawn as an example, good day of racing, full fields, uh, you know, all sorts of different stuff. From a very basic way of looking at it, give yourself, let's say the last 10 races of the day. If you want to play your own $2 win place live event, go right ahead. The idea is that mythical, you, before each race, you write down, I'm going to pick the one in this race. And whatever happens with the one in that race, if the horse wins, you get the win in place value. If the horse misses everything, you get nothing. You move on. Don't be afraid to learn that way. Pick and pray. If you want to put in all 10 of your picks for those 10 races before the first one starts, that's a good way to sort of gauge and learn, do something like that. If you want to play a, a fake live event on your own, cash-wise, it can be 50 bucks, could be $100, $200, $20, could be anything. The idea is, say, I have, this is the starting bankroll, I have these 10 races, how much can I turn it into? Don't be afraid to play around that way. I did that before I really started diving into any of the contests way back when, and I felt like it was a good building block, a good way for me to learn and feel more comfortable when the real thing happened. I mean, it's no different than practice. That's what practice in sports is all about. You you practice the reps to hopefully get yourself in a position where you're more comfortable with them when the real thing happens, whether it's taking ground balls, whether it's making a four-foot putt to save par, whether it's, you know, any of these different things. If you're a goalie in hockey and you, you know, you got to stop the breakaway late in the third period, whatever the case may be, the idea is the reps, the practice reps are supposed to help you get a little bit more familiar and, and comfortable when the real thing happens. And that's I, it's just something I would recommend to folks that if you're new to it or you're thinking about going forward. And also, just for sort of, uh, if you're going to, let's say, try that sort of thing, the 10 races on, on Saturday at Oaklawn, um, you get $2 to win, $2 to place. Let's say, whether it's pick and pray or live, uh, a, a good little barometer or rule of thumb to at least be in the ballpark of winning some of these things, at the very least, you need to double up whatever the starting bankroll is. So for a $2 win place, if you're playing 10 races, theoretically, that's $40, okay? In order to have any kind of chance in any of these contests, I think you at least need to double that. So you need to take your plays, whether you're playing live or you're going to play the pick and pray, you need to get to at least 80 if you're going to be remotely in, involved in any kind of a, a leaderboard, and in all likelihood, you probably need to be closer to 100 or something like that. But the point is, if you can get at least double up, if you can get to 80, I think you're doing well if you're just sort of starting things off and getting into the flow of things. And look, some days, it's going to be easy to get to 80. Some days, it's going to be like pulling teeth. Some days, they won't. nobody will get to 80, and some days, everyone will get to 170. It's just the nature of the beast. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. So if there are any other questions or thoughts, don't be afraid to leave those down here. I'm always open to shooting the breeze about that sort of thing. 
Nancy Moran, this was the the question that I ended up going down just the, the deepest rabbit hole. And I said, I, I can't use this. I, I went on a tangent for about 20 minutes because it's, I'm trying to just explain it all in as easy a fashion as I can. And I realized it was going to probably be more confusing than anything else. Looking at the quarter and half fractions in the count fleet, remember spoke about the count fleet on last week's pod. I don't understand how time form doesn't have the pace listed red. Can someone explain what other factors determine how the pace is listed besides the fractions themselves, just trying to learn things. I'm going to really do a very uh, brief and low-level explanation of this with the preface of saying, I, I don't know, I can't remember if it's buyer on speed or picking winners by Andy Beyer. He lays out the, the way that he goes about making figures. When I've experimented with doing the figure making, and I would encourage anyone, just try it. It's labor intensive. There's no two ways around that, especially if you don't have any kind of software helping you out. It's labor intensive, but it's a, I think it's a very good exercise. And whether you actually use the figures that you make or not, at least now you can have an idea of what goes into the figures that you see, whether it's time form, whether it's the buyers, whether it's Equibase, whether it's Briz, and I know a couple of those are computer generated, so maybe that's a bad example, but you get what I'm saying. At least you know how the pie is made. You at least know what the recipe is to make the number. And then you can, and then I feel like when you have a better understanding of it, you can at least go through and say, I agree or disagree. A lot of it has to do with par and the way that the racetrack is playing. If the racetrack is playing very, very fast or the racetrack is playing very, very slow, then what that race itself is from a speed standpoint in relation to par. When I say par, they'll take, let's say, the the past X number. You know, it goes years and years, but six furlong races for grade three runners. What's the quarter? What's the half? And how does that compare in relation to this one? Factoring in the track variant of how that track was playing that day. So if everything is just level, let's say it's the track is playing very, very normal as far as speed is concerned, where you're not having, you know, I'm making it up 21 flat opening quarters, and you're not having the, the reverse of that 23 and 2 for an opening quarter going six furlongs. If everything is just kind of where it should be for grade three sprinters, you're not going to get anything crazy there. And then that's where that factors in, where you don't see a giant differential between the two. Uh, I have the chart here for the race. And again, this is where I started going down the rabbit hole. So I'm, I'm not going to go deep, deep into it. But the fractions of 2169, 4467, just because the pace melted down doesn't necessarily mean that the pace was fast for the level or for the racetrack. Does that make sense? It could be a contested pace that led to things falling apart the way that it did, but it doesn't mean that it was actually faster than what par would suggest. And again, I, I could genuinely do two hours on trying to explain figures and give examples and things like that. The easiest way, though, would be to grab one of Andy Byer's books again. I can't remember which one it is. It's either Byer on Speed or Picking Winners. I don't think it's the winning horse player. Maybe it is. I, it's one of those. Trust me. There, there's, there's a big three for Byer. You can actually, I think, last I saw when I got mine, Years and years ago, you get the three-pack. You get all three of them on Amazon for like 35 40 bucks. I would highly recommend it because, again, at the very least, you at least know how figures are made and how, how what 
what does that figure? What does that mean? It's a lot easier to sort of digest and understand when you go through and read the whole thing. I wish I could spend more time. This thing would end up being about a three-hour pod, though. So hopefully that at least helped a little bit. I don't know if it did or didn't, but it's a heck of a lot better than what I was doing with that first recording I did because, my God, it just went on forever and a day. Uh, let's see if there's any other quick ones that we can touch on here. A sincere JNN. I'm, I'm curious... I'm curious about the comment about Tom's data and improbable. And then this can also kind of dovetail into a Twitter um, piece that I got earlier today and uh, relating to one of these horses. Uh, Tom's data, this is from a sincere JNN. Tom's data beat a now third stringer and improbable and it was life and death. Al Stahl is a very smart man. He's staying clear of the Oaklawn handicap and probable has a chance to move back up. That was an impressive race coming from the outside post. My, my question here is, if, if you think improbable has a chance to move up and he can be a nice horse and just that and the other thing, how can you earlier in the comment say that Tom's Detail, he beat a third stringer in improbable? Isn't that kind of contradicting yourself? Um, Tom's Day Ta, I think, is a better horse than Improbable is. Um, I've made, again, I made I spoke about it last week. I make no bones about it. I, I'm not a huge Improbable fan. I think he's a talented horse. I think he's a little bit of a nutcase. Um, I think Tom's Day Ta will always be a better horse than Improbable. That's just my opinion. Um, I, I just, this question, comment piece here, I don't, I'm not sure how we can criticize Tom's Detail, but also compliment Improbable when the... Oh, oh look at this. Siri's talking to me now. Um, I'm not sure how we can sort of compliment Improbable and knock Tom's Detail for beating Improbable. Does that make sense? Just, and, and please clarify if you could. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, and then the last one we'll talk about is this little question I got here earlier. Um, I had a question if you haven't recorded yet. This is from B, at Bradford16 underscore on Twitter. Uh, going into the Oakland Handicap this weekend, who do you think are the top older dirt males by my standards and Tom's day top for me? Um, I, I didn't do and I haven't done any sort of a deep, deep dive. I will say I think by my standards is a really, really good racehorse. I don't know that he's necessarily gotten the credit he deserves just yet. Maybe this weekend we'll see a giant sort of uh, influx in fandom for that horse. I think he is, I think he's damn good. Um, you know, he, he the Derby thing last year, I'm drawing a line through that. The way that he won down at the fairgrounds most recently, I thought was really strong. Uh, let me pull up the field because I haven't taken a, a full look at it. And I know this is, again, going to be a little bit of a tangent here. Some of the other older horses off the top of my head, you brought up Tom's Detail. He certainly fits in. Um, you know, I, I guess I'll, I don't, honestly, I don't even know who many of the older horses are at this point off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. Uh, looking at the rest of this Oaklawn field for the Oaklawn handicap, a Trophy Chaser has really improved in a big, big way since going out to two turns. I always thought he was best at one turn. He's kind of proven me wrong at this point here. Um, Tacitus, I just, I've made it clear. I, I don't, I was really high on him early, and he's he's lost me. He's a fine horse. He runs respectable figures. I just I don't think he's got that sort of killer instinct. I don't think he wants to go to that next level. Uh, tax, eh, 
didn't really do anything for me. He doesn't get the juices flowing. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what the story is with Performer for Shug McGahey. Um, very, very lightly raced. But what he has done on the track so far, uh, he's been visually awesome. So I'll be curious to see what we get from him if and when he comes back. Uh, I haven't read anything. I haven't seen anything. I can do one quick look up, and this will proper be the last thing I do on this week's pod. Um because he's he's just done a little bit of everything. He's done well going shorter, going longer. I'm sure all the issues this year with uh, coronavirus have thrown a bit of a monkey wrench into any planning with this horse. Uh, actually, he worked yesterday. He worked a half mile on April the 26th in 48-3. and three. So maybe we'll be seeing Performer back at the track at some point in a race. Um, he has been training pretty consistently. He had a little bit of a gap. He's had two little gaps recently in his tab, but he had been working. I mean, he worked consistently from February 6th right through March the 21st. Then he missed two weeks, came back on April 4th with a half mile, then missed two more weeks. That He's had two little gaps recently, but then he's come back and he's put back-to-back half-mile drills uh, down at, at uh, Payson, excuse me. So, uh, performer. Maybe he's one that you want to keep an eye on as far as older horses are concerned. And we know Suge, as they get older, he typically gets them better. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube. Probably the easiest way for me to see uh, as far as the pod is concerned. But I am pretty good about responding to things over on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, whether it's here or just directly to you there. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Without that stuff, this isn't going to go anywhere. Um, if you're over on YouTube, subscribe. Make sure the bell icon is lit up. Uh, that way you get any kind of a notification when something new is uploaded on the In The Money page. Uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. That would be Matt Bernier. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Bernier underscore Matt. Uh, good luck this weekend, and this week, I should say. I mean, there's a number of things going on, but but the Friday and Saturday are the big races down at Oaklawn. Let's hope. I haven't taken a look at the weather yet. Let's hope everything cooperates. You've got a beautiful field put together in the fantasy. Those three-year-old girls, looks like it's going to be absolute showdown. Then you've got the split division, grade one Arkansas Derby on Saturday, the Oaklawn handicap. Let me know your opinions. I'm very, very curious. I'm always willing to listen to other people's opinions and thoughts, but give me some reasoning behind them. Don't just say this horse. If you like that horse, why? Let me know. Good luck this week and this weekend. I'll be back on Monday with episode 13. Until then, this has been episode 12 of the Matt Burner Show. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.